Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Now, it's been a couple weeks, but now I'm so excited about being back in Lord, You Sank My Battleship, Lord, Seek My Battleship series. It is so good to be back in this pulpit. Last Sunday, uh, months ago, I was contacted by a church in Alabama, and uh, they are a church that's been through a really hard season in their life. Big, beautiful facilities, and uh, and man, the church is just struggling. And one of the pastors asked me to come and to, and to preach revival. And, and I prayed really hard about it and really felt led uh, by the Holy Spirit to go into Alabama and to preach at this church. And got to join with Triumphant Quartet and Karen Peck and New River. And man, we threw everything we could to help that church uh, to be, come back to life a little. And, uh, but I tell you what. Just so good to be back today. I miss being at Connect Church. Love being able to sit in the hotel room and, and to watch and to join with you early last Sunday morning. But Dominic, my, my brother, did just a fantastic job. He did a great job filling in last Sunday. Yeah, thank you, Dominic, uh, for doing so. And uh, loved Alabama, loved my time there. And uh, one, of the, one of the things is, is that when you go to a church that has a season of struggle, you're reminded of how good it is when God's moving in your midst. To be in a place where, where, where the Holy Spirit has His way and, and can move, and it's just a, it's a great joy to be your pastor. I'm reminded of that every time I leave town. Uh, we also had the opportunity there in Alabama to uh, visit my wife's grandmother, who has been in a nursing home since the COVID pandemic has happened, and for the first time, my wife got to hug on her grandmother. And I know a lot of you guys have been through that, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience, but it was just a great time uh, for them to come back together and to see. I have a picture here. They're working on my screen real quick, but I have a picture here of all of us together. And, and the weird thing about the picture is somehow... Everybody else took off their mask but me, so I was that guy, right, in the picture with a mask on, and, and I know COVID is kind of thankfully is coming and drawing down somewhat, uh, but have you ever found yourself sitting in a car by yourself with your mask on by accident? I mean, anybody, you're, I'm not the only person. Some of y'all lying out. Listen, my favorite thing, I would drive through Sevierville, and my mom, she's an educator, and somehow we would cross paths on the road, and I would look in at my mom's car, and she was wearing a mask, and nobody else was in the car. I mean, no, I, I, would, I would chase her down in my truck, turn around if I had to, just beat my horn at her, get it right. Mama, take off your mask. You're the only person in your car. Well, that was me as we went and visited the nursing home. But what a, what a wonderful time it was for us uh, to spend together and how God moved. We up. Uh, on Saturday night, we saw seven to 800 people there at the church. And do you know that nearly 40 senior adults professed faith in Jesus Christ over the weekend? Yeah, good stuff. Man, that's good stuff. And we thank the Lord for that. Now, let's go back to our sermon series that we've been out of for a couple of weeks here. And I love it. Lord, seek my battleship. I love that childhood game, that memory of the game of battleship where you would work hard to guess the right coordinates, and by doing so, ultimately, you would seek the battleship of your opponent. You would hear those coveted words, that coveted phrase, you sank my battleship. And for the past few weeks, 
We have been looking at the modern church models in a book that we've been studying is a stat gaining by losing by J.D. Greer. And these modern church models he identified as the cruise ship model of the church, the battleship model of the church, and the aircraft carrier model of the church. And here's been our hope that as we engage Scripture, that you and I would begin to see what the biblical model of the church, the very heart and the mission of the church ought to be. And how, how is it that we have a church that makes much of Jesus? So four weeks ago, we looked at the cruise ship model of the church. And here's what the cruise ship model says, that, that the church ought to be centered around me, that the church ought to cater to my needs. Church ought to do everything it can to make me happy. I'm the center of the attention. Of a church, and quickly as we, thank you, buddy, and quickly as we begin to study Scripture, passages in First Peter two, chapter two, verse five and nine, Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven through thirteen, we begin to see as we studied Scripture that you and I are priests and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He is He's put us on the front lines to serve Him on the very front lines of God's mission to save the world. We studied 2 Timothy chapter 4 and realized that there's a season in every culture and every generation that tends to gravitate towards the cruise ship model. Everything's about me. And from studying Scripture, we quickly prayed, Lord, would you sink my cruise ship? As ministers and as, as preachers of the gospel, as shepherds. You see, listen, it's not only the job of the church leadership to do the work and the ministry of the church. And we find that in this battleship model, which says, hey, listen, you ready? The work and the ministry of the gospel, the work and the ministry of the church is left up to the church institution, pastors and shepherds, deacons and church staff. But as we're quickly reminded that in Christ, we are all priests and ministers of the gospel, we, we begin to cry out and pray, God, would you... Would you sink the battleship mentality in us? And two weeks ago, or a couple weeks back, we landed on the aircraft carrier model of the church. And instead of praying, Lord, would you sink our aircraft carrier like we had prayed before, we began to pray this, Lord, send us as fighter pilots from this aircraft carrier, Connect Church to the front lines of your mission to save the world. Last time we gathered together, we talked being fighter pilots who take the fight to the enemy. And by doing so, we recognize the very fuel and the very power behind our fight. And it's not something, it is someone. And that is the very Holy Spirit of God, who, has, who we've been marked by, who we've been sealed in, as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 teaches. And so, as we talk through the fuel and the power behind every believer, the Holy Spirit, what happens once we're fueled up? What happens once we are powered up by the Holy Spirit? If last time we talked about the very fuel and the power in us, this week we talk about this and we ask, then what is our mission? If Connect Church is an aircraft carrier, 
that sends believers as fighter pilots on the front line of God's mission to save the world, then what is our mission? And simply put, where we camp out today is that our mission is to be spirit-filled believers who live sent. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And as we go there, there's the picture, right? Like, oh, my Chloe has the mask on too, right? So two of us were not told to take off the mask uh, in, the, in the picture. Turn to John chapter 20, verse 21. Listen to what Jesus says. I love this. He says this. Peace be with you. Now watch this phrase. You ready? In the conversation of what is our mission then, Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Man, that sounds good, but in practicality, hey, what is he, what is he sending us to do? And so here's where we're going to camp out for the rest of the morning. You ready? John chapter 14. Turn back just a few chapters. And it is here that we begin to receive our marching orders and we begin to see a picture of the mission that we're sent to do. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I broke out an old folder from 1943 that accompanied my grandfather, P-51 Mustang fighter pilot, in World War II. And we talked a little bit about his accommodations, some of the wards he had. Well, interesting enough, I began to look through all the paperwork, original from that time period, and I found a really interesting log. And it's a mission log. And it's from my papa. And here's what I loved about it. Um, that at the beginning of this mission log, there's a little key. It kind of tells you what all the, all the letters mean. It means like this. If, if there's an R next to the mission, he used rockets. If there was a B, it was a bombing run. If there was a DB, that means he was dive bombing. If there was an FB, he was firebombing. GS was ground support. AS was air support. S was strafe, which means unrelenting machine gun and bombing mission. And I begin to look through his mission log. And what's amazing is, on the first couple of pages, it would tell us how long he spent. And on 3-24-1945, I have a mission log where he spent two hours over Iwo Jima. And then on the next couple of days, he was over Iwo Jima. He would escort B-29s over Tokyo as bombing runs took place there. And just over and over again, log after log, of how many hours, where he was, and exactly what he would get engaged in from bombing missions to also just dogfighting up in the air. What's amazing about these papers, and as I think of my papa who was a fighter pilot, and again, uh, this is a picture of him flying over Tokyo, over Japan. The amazing thing about these mission logs is that the mission was very clear to him. And as a soldier, as a fighter pilot, he had one responsibility, one obligation. You ready? To accomplish the mission successfully that he was given. He knew his mission. He knew how to carry it out. 
And he had one obligation, to carry it out successfully. Hey, can I ask you something, church? Shouldn't that be the very strategy you and I have in our relationship with the Lord? That we find in his word a, a clarity of mission and that our task is to carry out the mission given to us. The problem is, is there's a whole lot of church people and a whole few of them that are carrying out the mission that God has set before us. So the question becomes, how do we carry out and what is the mission? In John chapter 14, verse 12, we begin to see a picture of what that mission is. So turn in your Bibles there, if you would. John chapter 14, verse 12. And listen to Jesus in this conversation with his disciples. He says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me. Can we just stop there? And, and again, can I remind you of the inclusive language of Jesus here? Whoever believes in me, not just pastors, not just church staff, not just missionaries serving in Africa, that everybody who names my name, for every person I have saved, for whoever believes in me, he says this, will do the works I have been doing. Hey, catch hold of that. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing the Bible says. And watch this. Jesus raises the bar. He ups the stakes. And they will do even greater things than these. Watch this. Because I am going to the Father. Now listen. <laughs> this sounds good. But it seems hardly practical, doesn't it? You and I doing the, the works of Jesus, not to mention even greater things than Jesus did. And what happens is, is with a passage like this, we quickly paint ourselves into a corner. Because when we hear Jesus say, and you're going to do the things I've been doing, you know what we immediately think of? His miracles, don't we? Our minds are immediately drawn to the miracles that Jesus did. And then when Jesus raises the bar, it says that those of us who believe will do even greater things, you know what I begin to get to ask? Greater things than Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hey, greater things than Jesus reading the mind of a woman in Samaria in John chapter 4, verse 18. Greater things than the healing of the official son in John chapter 4. Greater things than the healing of a, a crippled man who had been crippled for 38 years in John chapter 5. Greater things than the feeding of the 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and two fish in John chapter 5. Hey, greater things than walking on water in John chapter 5, John chapter 6. Hey, greater things than healing a man who was born blind in John chapter 9. And here's the granddaddy of them all. Hey, greater things than raising Lazarus from the dead four days after he's been lying in the grave in John chapter 11. And that is all that Jesus had accomplished. When he said, not only will you do the works that I do, but you'll do greater things than these. And we hear what Jesus is saying, but isn't it hard to believe? When was the last time you walked on the water in your bathtub? When was the last time the pizza rolls and the bagel bites just kept coming after your kids 
had eaten supper. Hey, when was the last time you drove by a graveyard and said, get up, and somebody did? Great, greater things than these? And here's where we have to be careful, church. We cannot limit the work of Jesus to just miracles alone. Because here's what we find. We find the works of the message he lived, he taught, and he preached the very gospel. We see works of prayer and works of discipleship, the work of the cross, works of suffering, the works of loving the unlovable, forgiving the unforgivable, and reaching the unreachable, and so much more. You see, when Jesus says, you will do the works that I do, I'm reminded of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he reminds the church to each The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to the other healing by the one Spirit, and to another working miracles. And on in verse 29, Paul says this about these gifts and these works. Do all work miracles? The context is no. Do all possess gifts of healing? The context of that is no. Do all speak with tongues? The context of that is is no. And what he's reminding the church is that we are all gifted differently. But our giftedness, fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, is synonymous. It is tantamount. It is equal to the very works that Jesus did. And you look and you think, well, what about the works of Christ? That we're to do. What's the why behind them? Why, why did he do them? What was the aim? What was the mission of his works? Well, if you go back in verse 11 of John chapter 14, Jesus tells us. He says this, believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And watch what he says. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You ready? The end, the mission of the works of Christ were to lead people into the belief of the gospel, belief in God and the good news of his salvation. That was the very work of Christ that he was sent to do and that he sends you and I to do. Hey, guys, that is the mission before us, to use our works to lead people to believe in God and God's rescue mission to save the world. And don't forget what Jesus said. Not only will you do my works, but you'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You say, if you listen, greater things. I can't wrap my mind around it. It doesn't make sense to me. What are these greater things? Hey, did you know that this Sunday is known in the church worldwide as Pentecost Sunday? And we celebrate on this day, Pentecost Sunday, marking the day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples as he promised to do in Scripture. It's, it's, hey, by the way, the birthday of the church. So happy birthday. The birthday of the church is what we celebrate this Sunday so many years ago. It was birthed back in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, Pentecost Sunday happens 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus and 10 days after his ascension into heaven. And catch what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. On this first Pentecost, Peter 
who is now filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel, takes part in the work of sharing the good news of Jesus. And the Bible says that on that Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 people cross from death to life in Jesus. 3,000 people were saved. You say anything, hey, what is the greater work that Jesus was talking about in this mission? You ready? The greater work is the Holy Spirit, the church. It is people being saved and disciples made. And we see a picture of that here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The, the greater work is that of the Holy Spirit filled, fueled and empowered believer, his church, living sent and accomplishing works that lead people to believe in Jesus. That is what Jesus had his mind. Remember the last time I was here in John chapter 16, verse 7, when he looked at the disciples and says, it is for your good that I leave. Because unless I do, the advocate will not come. And in a sense, Jesus says, trust me, you want him. That is the very greater work. Last time I preached, I encouraged you to see Connect Church as an aircraft carrier sending you the believer, the fighter pilot, on the front lines of God's mission to save the world. And remember this as a fighter pilot. The number one job you have, that I have, is to accomplish the mission set before us. You ready? Your mission, my mission, is to live sent. Remember what I opened with in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father is sending me, so I... I'm sending you. Did you know that Jesus has a certain description in the Gospel of John? That he is described over 44 times as being? Did you know that? Over 44 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is described in this one way. Now you might begin to think, well, I wonder if it's, uh, I wonder if it's, he was being described as healer 44 times. He wasn't, although he was the healer. Well, well, maybe he was described as one who can cast out demons, by the way, which he did, but this was not the most numerous description of Jesus. Well, maybe it was that he was a great preacher, by the way, the best there's ever lived. But that wasn't the description that described him 44 different times. Well, maybe it was miracle worker, by the way, which he was. But that wasn't the description some 44 times in the Gospel of John. You know the description of Jesus? 44 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as being sent. There's our mission. To live sent. Yet somewhere along the way, we have exchanged for living sent for the safety of a church service. Well, hey, as long as I go to church, man, I've accomplished the mission. That is not so biblically. Yeah, I heard it said this way once. Religion is all that is left over when the Holy Spirit leaves the room. Church, I want you to hear me. Religion lives safe. But the Holy Spirit-filled believer lives sent. David Platt would say it this way. 
talking about us, the church, believers in Christ. Jesus doesn't just sanitize us and put us on his sanctified shelf. He sends us on his saving mission. The goal is not to disinfect Christians and separate them from the world, but to disciple them and to send them back into the world. That is the reason he has saved us. You know, something very interesting to think. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, Peter numbered those who were Christ's followers after his death at 120 people. Think of that. The ministry of Jesus, the cross, the empty tomb, and all that Jesus left was a church of 120 people. I began to read Rodney Stark, who's a church historian, and he began to write about the early growth of the church in Acts. And the best estimates indicate that the 120 believers that started out in Acts at Pentecost that by the end of the first century, the church had multiplied to over 50,000 genuine believers. Isn't that incredible? How God took 120, and in a persecution-filled empire, the church grew to over 50,000 spirit-filled believers. Hey, you ready? Who lived, sent. They saw their families. They saw their livelihoods, their, their community as mission fields to serve Christ and to build his kingdom. And by living sent, just a few generations later, by 8,400, it is estimated that those 50,000 believers would then number over 34 million believers. And most historians think that that's over half of the Roman Empire were believers in Christ. And you go, wait a second. And I don't know if I could ever be a part of that, but you ready? Here's what happened. That early church believed and bought into Jesus when he said, not only will you do the works that I do, but you'll do greater things than these. And that is a picture of the greater things. You see, spirit-filled believers who live sin, fighter pilots who were sent out each week taking the fight to the enemy on the front lines of God's mission to save the world. You see, just like my, my papa's mission was clear, and time and time again I, I can read where he successfully accomplished the mission, so too is clear the mission that God has for us. And we find in the very word of God, and you may say, but Anthony, how do I live since? You ready? Let, let me give you four things. Number one, fall under the command of Christ. You ready? As corny as it sounds, hey, Jesus is our commander in chief. It's the idea that as a fighter pilot, a soldier in his army, my life is not my own. It belongs to him. He is my commander in chief. This is a daily choice, by the way, on behalf of believers. Sometimes a moment-by-moment -moment choice. You know that to be true. Yet instead, if we're not careful, instead of falling under the command of Christ, we want to take back command of our own lives. Choose 
which missions we're willing to fight and those we're not. And in doing so, accomplishing nothing of significance in the kingdom of God. We must fall under the command of Christ. Number two, we must fall under the authority of his word. You ready? The mission is spelled out in scripture. The mission is made clear in the commands of Christ's believer. Oftentimes believers say this, and God is silent. I don't hear from God anymore. Church, hear me. Do not declare that God is silent while your Bible stays closed. Open his word each day. Read it. Listen to it. And carry out the very mission that has been set before you. How do I live sent? We fall under the control of the Holy Spirit, trusting his leadership in our lives. You ready, church? We need to stop being such control freaks over our life. As if we can control everything. What a delusion. What What a misunderstanding. We need to stop being control freaks, you ready? And allow the Holy Spirit of God to have control, to take control through prayer, studying scripture, and making much of Jesus in our lives. You ready? Here's number four. And we must forge ahead to accomplish the mission set before us to live sin. I love the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Let me remind you of it. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Matthew 28, 16. After Jesus had risen from the grave, the Bible says in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, Jesus, meaning Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You know what? I love this worship service here in Matthew chapter 28. You know why? Because it looks a whole lot like this service here today. We have, we have gone where Jesus has commanded us to go, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're in a church, and there's some who can worship him today, and, and even in this room, there's some who still doubt him. Some who still wonder if really Jesus works. Is he really worth it? Man, a great picture of a worship service today. But watch this. Jesus then would say in verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Let me stop here. You ready? As we see these sending, these marching orders, we make discipleship so complicated. For discipleship to happen, you must come to church. You must go through these many steps of a program. Hear me. Jesus discipled by simply living life with others and showing them how to follow after God. You want to know what making disciples looks like? Sitting down with somebody else. Showing them how you read scripture. Showing them how you pray. Showing them how you walk with Jesus. And Jesus would say our mission is to make disciples of all nations. We complicate things so much. And it's simple. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, believer, your job as a fighter pilot is to accomplish the mission, that mission to live sent. Over a couple of Sundays, we plotted out, there's little pins all over this map, we plotted out just where you work, 
what you turned into us, hundreds of submissions. We had to group some of these just where you work and where you go to school. And the concentration of hundreds of believers in the main centers of our community is incredible. God has already sent you to where people are. And the question becomes, are you willing to accomplish the mission? Are you willing to live sent, to make disciples? You say anything, why? What is the why behind accomplishing this mission? You know, I love this quote. Because every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. Martin Luther said it this way once. It wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. You ready, church? Living sent means people see the gospel at work in our lives and hear the gospel alive on our lips. As we love God, as we love people, and we make disciples of Jesus. You know, on May 8th, very early on a Saturday morning, Saturday mornings are the only mornings my wife and I get to sleep in. And the kids actually sleep in past 7 o'clock. It's a beautiful day. At around 5 o'clock in the morning, my mother-in-law starts texting us in a family. Listen, I love her. When you start texting at 5 in the morning, that's some five. Anyway, it's just awful. It's hard. And as we started opening up the text, we, we began to see this image that took place just an, an hour earlier. Take a look at this video real quick on the screen, and I'll kind of explain it. That is a picture of my father-in-law's bus. Just after 4 o'clock in the morning, the driver had noticed that the bus's engine was running a little hot. You see, my father-in-law is a part of a southern gospel group called Triumphant Quartet, where they're home. Uh, Clayton on the group is a, a deacon here, so is David. Uh, Jamie and Adam, the sound guy in the bus, are friends of ours. Eric is a, my father-in-law is an elder here at the church. And you see, about 4 o'clock in the morning, their bus started running hot. Well, all the guys were asleep in the back. Jamie, the bus driver, was driving. He pulled over immediately on the side of the interstate. They were heading from Illinois to Wisconsin to sing at a church. And when he got back to the back end of the bus, a new part that had just been installed had sparked a fire. Well, he ran back up to get the fire extinguisher, went back, put the fire extinguisher on it, and guys, it's as if it fed the fire. And the fire began to, to get rapidly out of control. Well, Jamie... Uh, decided it was time to get the guys off the bus as the fire and the flames were going uh, so fiercely. So he ran on the bus, and he, he literally saved their lives. Got them off the bus, and just a few moments later, there was some type of explosion on the bus. All the windshield was gone and every screen, and, and the bus is no more. Well, as I began to talk with the guys, I was with them this past weekend, I caught Jamie, the bus driver, and I said, Jamie, listen, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but man, thank you for, thank you for saving their life. I said, not only do you have an elder of mine and two deacons, a great friend and Scotty, and I love Adam, I said, but you know what? You saved my wife's daddy. 
I said, you know what? You, you saved my, my kid's beloved granddad. I, I can't imagine how different today would be if you didn't get him off the bus. If you didn't save him from the fire. If you didn't help them escape the flames. So I just said, Jamie, thank you for saving them from the fire. You know, I got to thinking about this mission you and I have. And it's not much different. Why is it that you and I live sent? Is because at the end of that mission, we are a part of God's mission of saving people from the fire. The fire of a life lived here on this earth without Jesus, the fire of a life lived in eternity without Jesus, we live sent so that we could serve on the front lines of God's mission to save people from the fire. And the question today is, are we living sin? Are we going from this aircraft carrier's fighter pilots on the front lines of God's mission to save the world, to save people from the fire? Are we living sin? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.